That might be the best can open we've had in a few episodes. It was very full. So you got the resonance, baby. Yeah. We'll get well, into some resonance later, but <laughs> yeah, it's a little carbonation. But we're back. A uh, little bit more regularity now uh, in between episodes. Just did uh, Bishop's last week, so if you haven't checked that out, definitely check it out. But back again with another good friend of ours uh, that we'll introduce here in a second. Uh, but we're on the home stretch for, for fall band, and it's finally getting cold in Kentucky. Today it was like a high of 50 or something like that. Yeah, it was which wet is, outside in Louisville and like 52 degrees. It definitely definitely sucked. not good for the uh, for the old warm uh, drum hands, but not <laughs> at all. Playing 30 degree I weather. Just, I don't whatever. know about you. I'm ready for high school season to be over. At least outdoor. I'm ready for outdoor to be over. I feel you. I feel you, man. I want weekends back. But that's enough of that. Uh, welcome everyone to the Aged Out Podcast. As always, I'm one of your hosts, Mike Fantini, and with me is Evan Worrell. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you hit the subscribe button uh, on YouTube, like the video, drop a comment if you want to say anything, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, like the Facebook, follow us on Instagram, all the usual social media spiel. And let's just get to it. Yeah, uh, this guy that we got on, Mike and I both marched with, but I was fortunate to be able to spend an entire summer uh, getting to know him, drumming with him, going through the trials and tribulations that are drum corps, uh, especially the season that we were both there. Uh, but without any further ado, we welcome Frank Cummings. Do you want to be called Frank or Frankie? I've always called you Frankie. I think uh, whatever rolls off the tongue is, is what's appropriate for the individual. I'm yeah, probably going to go with Frankie. Just I've just, I've always called, called you Frankie, but uh, uh, yeah, man, w- uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so Frankie has some uh, some unique experience, too, that we'll dive into as we go along, which I'm sure will come up pretty organically, uh, but we'll kind of roll out the carpet for you, man. Just tell us a little bit about how you got into like either band or percussion or drumming and drumline, your kind of exposures, the things that... I guess enticed you and led you to to go down that road that we've all kind of crossed paths with. Yeah, man. Uh, where do I even begin? So, <laughs> I don't I don't know if this is completely true or not. I haven't uh, confirmed it, but um, I kind of recall you know hearing this as I was growing up. But apparently, um, there was a music store across the street from the hospital I was born in and the day I was born, my dad went across the street and bought this beautiful blue sparkle concert snare drum for me. And which is pretty random considering the fact that none of my parents hardly have any musical background. Like I know my, uh, my mom's dad, he was a, he was a singer guitar player in a band. Um, but my dad has no musical background, so it's kind of strange to like think back on it now that that he even had that idea to begin with. But you know, especially with like a kid, like is that a baby? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Go exactly. home, baby. It's three o'clock <laughs> in the morning. Uh, got kids to feed. <laughs> Already got breaking in the Chappelle references. All right, uh, we're going down a good. That. We're going down a good road. All right, All right. Anyway. Uh, continue. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, fast forward, I have 
I have sisters that are a lot older than I am, and uh, one of them was in marching band. Uh, she played saxophone. She did color guard. And, you know, I she had some cool friends when I was growing up, and I always kind of looked up to them. And I just I remember, uh, you know, before I even joined a uh, concert band, which started in fourth grade where I grew up, um, I would just bust out that concert snare drum, and, like, her drumline friends would be teaching me their cadence, um, which was, like, not very hard, obviously. But, you know, I was... I was pretty uh, pretty naturally into it from the beginning. So I I honestly, I, I remember like I couldn't wait to get into it, you know, sign up for it in fourth grade. So I did that, grew up through the concert band program. Fast forward to seventh grade. That's when they started to, uh, it was a very small program. So they, they let younger kids be in the high school program. So when I was in seventh grade, I joined marching band. Um, I played rack played some a little bit of Glock um, in eighth grade, played some bass one, baby. Um, mm, Downbeats yeah. for days. Yeah, exactly. And then started playing snare drum my freshman year. Honestly, I, I probably would have played snare drum in, in seventh or eighth grade, but I was too small to carry a drum. Uh, actually, at the school yeah, I teach at, we actually have a kid like that right now, just because he's been taking lessons for a long time. But he's like mm-hmm. four nine and weighs 110 pounds. So it's like, well, it really isn't gonna work. Yeah, yeah I didn't. Bre- I didn't break into the triple digits with my weight until high school. Jeez. If that, gives, if that gives you an idea. Yeah. Yeah. I so, can relate to that. I was pretty small. So. Yeah, I was always a short guy, skinny guy, but. Yeah, so I got into that. I also I'm I'm left-handed, so that was just always kind of a uh, natural one-up, I guess you could say. I didn't Is that really... really an advantage? Yeah, absolutely. I would say so. Really? Um, yeah. Like I mean, sure, everything's off the right, but I mean, it was really it happened pretty fast where I got used to the whole grip and the. And yeah. the turn turning the doorknob idea, like it really, really that makes uh, sense. No, that makes sense. Yeah, it didn't you, take too much like coordination uh, problems, you know. Well, I guess too, like if you write left-handed, that's I mean the traditional grip isn't too far off from like how you hold a pencil. Uh, exactly. If you're thinking, yeah, yeah. if you're thinking like in the left hand, so I mean that makes sense. True. I literally, I literally hold a pencil like I hold a drumstick. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're, so you're talking about small program. Um, I think that's great too, just because, uh, I don't know. I think sometimes kids get in the mindset that they see these big, like national programs that are on the internet or YouTube or Chino Hills and bands of America finalists. But the program I was at definitely wasn't that. And you're from Carney's point, correct? New Jersey. Yes. Carney's point, New Jersey. Nailed it. So, uh, which is on the west coast of New Jersey, near Philly and Newark, or something like that. Um, yeah, exactly, southwest wait, New Jersey. There's a west coast of New Jersey. Well, like the west coast of the st- <laughs> there's like a river that runs up the yeah, middle of there. Yeah, there's, yeah, okay, there's a fair river, enough. River there's coast. There's a river All that right. crosses between New Jersey and Delaware. Like where where I grew up, I could I could almost hit Wilmington, Delaware, with a rock. Okay. Uh, nice. I, mean, I was just thinking like the ocean is to the east and you hear like, all right, whatever, go on. 
No, I'm good at geographies. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding. I Googled that stuff earlier. Yeah, anyway, you studied it. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, prepared for this podcast. But anyway, um, so small town, came from a small school, uh, mm-hmm. getting into the marching band. Um, where would you say, I guess, that you got your knowledge or your beginner knowledge and stuff from? Well, uh, my freshman year of high school, we had um, a really good friend of our band director um, who came from Crossman University of Delaware, you know, that, that whole kind of family over there. Uh-huh. And he had, a, he had a friend, his name is Mike Windish. He started teaching my drum line my freshman year and and it really it really took off from there the guy was a mechanical genius i mean you you kind of learn as a teacher like who what kids need compliments what kids don't etc and he kind of saw like my how interested i was in it from the beginning and that's when he decided i will literally never give this kid a compliment once like i mean <laughs> And, and he never did, but, but he always kind of like poked the bear in a way where it was very inspiring for me. You know, I was, you know, I mean, you can ask my parents. I was I was living and breathing on my practice pad in my room um, from the beginning. All, and really all, all because of that guy. So Mike Windish and we'll get into it later, but um, I, I teach with him now still, which is which is really awesome. So Mike Windish comes from, uh, like I said, the University of Delaware, in which he still teaches at the University of Delaware, so that's cool. Um, but he was he was marching uh, Reading Buccaneers back in those days, and which is a, a DCA core, which is all age. And you know, at that point, I only I'd only heard about uh, what they called it back then was Junior Corps, which is DCI. Well, you know, it's DCI now. Okay. And yeah, exactly. And so he, I think I was, I was 16, started my junior year of high school. And, um, you know, I mean, at that point I had already auditioned for Crossman, the cadets, cause you know, luckily they were, they were hosting their, um, their audition camps at my high school which was really convenient. That's super convenient. Jeez. Yeah, I remember standing in like the food line with this woman and she was she was from England and she was like, "Where are you from?" and I'm like, "Here." And like I remember the camp getting over and I like called my mom to come pick me up. <laughs> what year what year was that? That was in 2007 for the cadets. You were for this for the summer of 08? Um no, I think it was for the summer of 07. Uh, I no, I wouldn't have been there for the that summer of 07. That was when you went to Glassman, right? I was there for the summer of 08. So I was there in 2007 auditioning for the summer of 08. Uh, but I want to say that my, ours were like in Camden. But maybe it's not. Maybe it wasn't Camden. Okay. Uh, that sounds like Jersey Surf. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, in 2007, I auditioned at Blue Coats first and that for the summer of 2007, I went to Blue Coats, and that was very oh. quickly apparent that I was not going to go there. And then I went wow. to Glassman, and then okay. maybe could have worked out, but the whole G West thing turned me off pretty hardcore because there's no that. running water. But anyway, that place um, blue. <laughs> so that's cool. Yeah. That's pretty convenient then that you were there and your local town. Like, oh, ride my bike to 
you could probably ride your bike if it wasn't like freezing cold in November. But yeah, yeah, I remember my. Uh, I think our football team made the playoffs that year, and I remember our marching band was like getting on the bus to go to a football game that Friday night. And I remember standing there like with my duffel bag and my sleeping bag, like just scared out of my mind. Like, well, I guess I'm about to do this uh, drum corps camp. <laughs> and I just like watched all my friends leave on the bus. And I remember like, man, I wish I was going with them right now. But, you know, wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't, if I didn't go to that camp and completely make a fool out of myself. <laughs> I feel like that's the story for a lot of people when they first audition for drum corps. Like, you go somewhere you have no business going to just because you're oblivious to how the activity really works and everything. And you just get, like, completely humbled or just, like, put in your place, I guess is a good way to put it. Like, the reality check. Yeah, man, well, I think, absolutely. I think, too, there's just, like, anytime, and this got to be, like, I guess a lesson for any kid that's listening that – has an audition like everybody's first audition is nerve-wracking i think even if you have all the experience in the world just because you don't know what to expect it's something new it's a change um even if you're fortunate enough to make it into a group at your very first audition every audition you go to thereafter is just that much more comfortable because you have experience going through the audition process and knowing what that is because everybody pretty much does it in some type of similar fashion, whether it's drum corps or WGI or high school, uh, you'll play with the group. Maybe you'll do an individual audition. You might do a visual audition. Like it's pretty, they want to see all those things. So the more you audition, the more experience you get auditioning and the experience you get at like showcasing yourself in a better fashion, I would say. It's but, definitely a skill you have to develop. You have to learn how to audition for sure. And then you get those people that, but you also have the other end of the spectrum where you have some people that audition really well. But like, I don't know. We've all heard about those people that I feel like look really good in auditions and then just don't pan out once the season starts. They make it and stuff. But then you have other people that audition terribly, get in still, whether through networking or they're good enough still, and they end up being a superstar all summer. So it's it's a give and take a little bit. And you still definitely have to get comfortable with the individual audition part. At least for me, that was the most nerve wracking is the individual where you're like shaking in your boots. Your sound quality sucks. Your rhythms are terrible. Like for me, that was the biggest learning curve. Yeah, man. I remember, I remember breaking in front of Tom Unks in my individual audition and I went to like start, start over again. And he just like held his hand up. He was like, no, I got it, dude. That's all good. And he just like, you know, I don't know, whatever alleviated the situation and got me out of there. <laughs> I love that. Uh, uh, nice. Yeah. But that's uh, a great point, Fantini, you bring up. Like, um, I'm probably skipping a million steps here, but everybody probably knows who uh, Jay Noah is by now, also known as Sam Fleming. He he marches GMU. He, he's marched Crown the past three summers. He just aged out as the section leader. And... You know, I think back to uh, 2017, I remember after the November camp, as far as my list went, he was he was like 13th or 14th. And, you know, just because he, he wasn't there yet, I think he like just started drumming for like two or three years at that point. And, man, he came back in December and he was easily number, number nine or eight. He was in there. Nice. Yeah. Persevered. 
went home. I, and that's a if you have a bad audition, you can either take it one of two ways. Like you can accept it and just be like, "Oh man, that wasn't good," or you can like fight back and be like, "No, nah, I I didn't represent myself the way I know I can, so I need to give mm-hmm. another opportunity and like kind of go back and put it in their face." So that kind of, like that grit or that mentality behind it. But uh, yeah, we'll come back to the audition stuff because I want to pick your brain on that some more too. Uh, so yeah, I made it to the high school. Probably, yeah, made it to the high no, school. No, it's all good. Uh, um, audition for cadets. Yep, audition for cadets for the, the 2007 season, and then um, in 2008 is when you know I found out about the Reading Buccaneers, and I th- I got a new band director that year, and she was she came from the Bushwhackers, which is another DCA core. And, um, you know, she, she had talked me into going there at first and basically was telling me it'd be a shoe in for me. Um, but then I remember, uh, Mike Lindish, my drum tech co- convinced me to go to Reading and, and I did that and, you know, I, I ended up making it and, you know, got my first drum corps experience. So what they call us the weekend warriors, the weekend warriors. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like DCA, from my perspective, and kind of the Midwest Kentucky area here, is very much heavy, have more heavily prevalent in the East Coast, uh, that Northeast, like down the coast and all that, um, as far as the number of groups and the saturation uh, from the location standpoint. I mean, you got like the Buccaneers, I'm sure, like, was it Connecticut Hurricanes? I'm assuming Bushwhackers are up there somewhere. And then like Carolina Gold down that uh, area. So kind of explain, I guess, maybe for some people who are like DCA, what's the like, what's the setup? You just call them the weekend warriors. A lot of them rehearse on the weekends only. I think most of them rehearse on the weekends only. Is that right? Yeah, that, that is right. So it's like WGI. Um, if you have experience with that, you go in, you go in Friday night, you have a, uh, a rehearsal that is just one block and then, and, and then it's all day Saturday and then you rehearse Sunday until about four or five o'clock, and then you head home and do your whole Monday through Friday routine. I feel like the DCA value is severely underrated, uh, especially for younger kids trying to get some experience, just get better, like build up the chops. I would if I think if there were more DCA cores around the country it would be much more beneficial for kids to get that experience especially when i think back to like myself and the one of the big things that deterred me from maybe marching glassman in 07 not that i got offered a contract but if i had got to that point was the fact that i I didn't feel like i was mentally ready to just be gone as a junior in high school for 80 to 90 straight days I, i don't think i was mentally ready for that um, so I feel like that's a good like stepping stone for kids uh, if you have DCA cores around you to just get experience drumming with some people that are older, some people that are the same age, uh, but learning from somebody else. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's definitely good for those younger people. Like I remember I remember I wanted to quit before the summer even started. Like I made the drum line. We did our uh, we did our like preview show in the spring and um but before that i remember thinking like you know i kind of feel like i don't have a i don't have like my life anymore 
I had I had a, a girlfriend at the time. I uh, I wanted to play golf a bunch, and 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 I just remember like, wow, I'm like not hanging out with my friends on the weekends anymore. What's going on? And uh, so I I did actually end up quitting, um, like right before the summer started, and. You know, normally, like any any other group you would do that with, they would just be like, okay, whatever, and they would they would move on and find somebody else. But, you know, for whatever reason, they just kept calling me and emailing me. And, you know, I was a young kid, so I was ignoring all the phone calls and everything. But, you know, I remember. <laughs> Before yeah, I remember, ghosting was a thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 my Mike Windish, he, uh, we had auditions for my high school drum line for the next fall. And I remember he stopped rehearsal early and just to talk to me for like the last hour. And he basically just told me how stupid I was. He was like, you're not going to be in the PGA. I don't know why you're like looking at that or whatever. <laughs> he was like, but you could be in the Cavaliers or the Cadets or Vanguard or whatever you want. He was like, so, I mean, you just need to like wake up and do this thing. And they want you to come back. And I was like, all right, yeah. And and I, I like called him up and I was super embarrassed about the whole thing, obviously, but you know, that, that blew over pretty quickly and, you know, we just kind of got into things, but yeah, definitely, just, definitely good for the young people. That's how, a good instructor, man. Like somebody oh, yeah. who just like takes the time, like, no, nah, like you're being dumb right now. Like you need to, you have this much potential in this. I feel like that's missing a lot in some, some areas of education, just the brutal honesty of like, no, nah, like what you're doing is a waste of your time. You could be really successful at this. Like, yeah. Stop like sitting the bench on the baseball team. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, brutal yeah. honesty is in short supply anyway, just in society in general right now, but <laughs> not only in education. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, at the time I was, I was too young to probably realize this, but you know, now that I, I still work with him and, and we're still really great friends and you know, he really is just one of, one of the most raw, um, genuine, just blunt human beings i i know but he's very wise and 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 man i'm just i'm lucky he's still in my life to be honest cool well, cool well yeah, uh let's kind of we'll, we'll skip through so we got dca marsh bucks for two years won two gold medals so you're a mm -hmm. champion world champion uh no one can take it away yeah. uh then you did crown 10 11 and 12 um we'll kind of like cram these in here, but what made you go? Like, why'd you want to go to crown versus like somewhere else? Obviously you said you went to cadets. I went to cadets too. Uh, but then you, I guess had a change of heart. Well, Evan, it was you, man. I watched, uh, I watched, uh, crown 2009. I saw you guys live at giant stadium. Um, and you, you, you can attest to this, but you guys had a amazing run that night. I don't know if you remember. No, it was a great run, and I've been trying to get the drum tape from Zach Schlicker for 10 years now, but <laughs> it's literally on a cassette tape. And he's like, oh, dude, I can't. he's like on a cassette tape. I don't know how to get it off. I'm like, dude, just put it in a cassette player and like record a voice memo or something. I don't care if it's like the crappiest quality, but I, re yeah. I can remember that show at Meadowlands, which is, I guess, torn down now, but we just like ripped it. Also... Yeah, Another kind of weird caveat to that show, but we watched uh, the ending of Full Metal Jacket on the way to that show, which is super depressing movie. So we all wow. got off the bus, off the bus, just like super down. But then we had a great run. So yeah, all right. Sidebar. 
Saw us there at Meadowlands. Saw us at Giant Stadium. Yeah, saw you at uh, yeah. Giant Stadium, and man, that was that was just my favorite drum corps at that point. I think before that, I was just like a huge um, Cavaliers fan, huge Vanguard fan. But man, once I saw you guys, it was like completely changed from there. It was like the most notes I'd ever seen in my life. It was some of the cleanest playing I'd ever. Definitely the cleanest playing I'd ever heard live at that point. And man, I just I I knew I knew that that's where I wanted to be. I had no idea how I was gonna get there, but I was gonna do it. And you know, I had I had some options. I had I mean at that point, um, two thousand for two thousand ten, like cadets cadets were now ten minutes away from my house versus down the street, and Crown was ten hours away from my house, and I. I round up one other guy to come with me, and, and we made the 10-hour trek down to uh, down to Fort Mill to audition for this for this drum line. Nice. So we got in there. Frankie and I spent the whole summer together, which was great. Uh, although you were way quieter then, uh, mm-hmm. at least at first. Um, <laughs> had a lot of fun. That summer was a summer of ups and downs from people getting injured to people having some mental breakdowns. There's all kinds of stuff, but we won't get into that too much. Um, stayed there, did the 2011, did the Rockstar show, did the 2012 for the Common Man show, which is still, when I watch it, one of the hardest shows I think I've ever seen. Um, yeah. Especially from a visual requirement. That was, that was 12, right? Yeah. Man, I just, speaking of that show... I just remember every show that Blue Coats were at that Crown was at that summer. I'd go walk up to Frankie, uh, Zach Janczewski, and Andy Kim. And every show, you guys were like, God, it's hard. <laughs> I was like, how's the run? Not there yet. It's hard. <laughs> I, wasn't there a point in spring training where you, the drill for the drum line was so hard, you guys were down to like four snare drummers that could rehearse for a few days? Oh yeah, we had, or it was five. We had five snare drummers uh, out there on the field, and three of us on the sideline. Um, didn't someone tear his ACL? Yeah, he actually didn't get end up getting back in. That's when uh, we had a vet from 2011. His name was Brandon Lindsay. Uh, he came back, um, and he he filled the hole, so that was cool. But but yeah, we had like one kid with the flu for a week, so I don't know if that had anything to do with the drill. Yeah, yeah. Probably. <laughs> Just getting beat down the drill so much. Gives you the flu. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Leon. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So, um, it was crazy. Cool. Uh, we're just gonna keep hammering through because there's some other stuff that I want to get to. That's like non. Uh, so you went to Udell, learned from the Jim Ancona, who's there. Um, is he still there? Yeah, he's still there. Ro- rocking the Udell stuff. Um, 2013 went to coats blue coats ended up being the uh, center snare um rookie year there well i won't say rookie year but first year there um that was kind of a unique situation uh march united we all marched x and 12 march x and 13 march x and 14 so you were a part of the i guess first two and maybe only two to date the max that have one da I don't know if that's correct, but it sounds right in my head, uh, which is like the hands caption, the music caption, uh, both years, 13 and 14. Didn't you guys win PA 13 and 14? Yes, we did. 
Boom. So there it is. I don't know if they've won since. They have not. Mm. So you got the you got you're in the only two. That's like kind of wild. Yeah, to believe. That's kind of wild to think about. <laughs> I would yeah, keep track I, of that. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, not to chew my own horn, but I did split center both of those years. So <laughs> rhythm, well, rhythms and tempo were there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you were the B center in fourteen, so. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Well, I I guess you tapped. Say in the center at X is very. I don't know. It's a weird. It's a weird thing. Like I don't know how you felt about it, but every time that I was there, I was just like, ah, I don't really feel like the sexual leader. I just feel like I'm just trying to be right all the time. I don't know. <laughs> well, I, I gotta say, like from 2012 and then 13 and 14, those were like, it was they were completely two different ensembles, man. I don't I don't know what it was if something like ended up being in the water or something. I know what it was. It was I it do was too. Completely Mike different. Scott. That's what it was. Oh, yeah. There you go. That's Mike why Scott. it's different ensemble from the two years. Mike Scott Mike. was marching in 12, not doing any admin stuff. And then in 13, he started running the show from an administrative yeah. side. And yeah, like, it was, it was easy. It was easy to be like a great member. It was easy to rehearse well. Um, the show design was really awesome both of those years. Um, very lucky with that. Um, you're really filling me with a lot. Great, you're yeah. really filling me with a lot of regret here, Frankie. <laughs> oh yeah, couldn't you have marched the uh, thirteen? I could have marched thirteen and fourteen. Oh man, you didn't want to go back after seeing us in thirteen. Uh, at that point, I was done. <laughs> I was I was out of college and had a job and just I was I was done. I, I, I was married when I marched my age. My I know. Show, right? I, look, look, here's the, tr- here's the truth that. of it. Here's the truth <laughs> of it. After the summer of 2012, I came home. Like, I didn't even do my college drum line at Moorhead. Like, I, I, I needed a break. Like, I just didn't want to wear a drum anymore. I, I needed a break. And. Uh, sounds pretty lame to me. I'm I don't know. I just, anyway. I, I, the only time I ever regretted not marching in 13 was when I watched your all's finals run in Dayton. And I was like, yeah. wow, I could probably, I, I could be out there right now if I wanted to, if I had made that decision. But <laughs> that, that was, was the only the time. Run like, that week. What? <laughs> I said that was probably the worst run that week, man. I remember we, uh, we uh, were rehearsing at Lebanon High School and, man, it was like the last the last five run-throughs of that show just all pretty much like felt and sounded the same, man. It was, that was, that was the most special ensemble I was ever a part of. Um, I watched I the I run that you guys did at Lebanon before finals day. Like I watched that one. Cause infinity was there too. Mike, were you with me? Uh, I think so. Yeah. But I was there at Lebanon and infinity was there cause they had the same rehearsal facility and they watched you guys do that run through too. And I was just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Very special. Very was, special part, year. Part of it also was 2012 was kind of a shit show. If we're being honest. Oh yeah. And that was, that was part of the reason I didn't come back in 13. I I moved from New Jersey. That was the year I moved from New Jersey to Ohio. And that was like right after Thanksgiving. And it was like the entire month of December we didn't rehearse. And it was like, are we about to fold? They almost I remember we almost did fold. Almost. That almost happened. Yeah. We didn't Crazy. have anywhere to rehearse. Think about it. Rhythm X was almost like a fold in 2012. That's 
<laughs> that snare line and, almost and still didn't somehow get to like figured it out towards the end but <laughs> that, that uh, snare line has figured it out from exist. a playing standpoint i'll say but yeah i mean anyway that concrete box was not fun Go buddies. anyway <laughs> buddies uh buddies moving carpet. on moving frankie on. is also the result of a rule that is now in place in wgi um 2014 the razor's edge uh, they did the balancing act, kind of, I guess, emulating slacklining. Is that the right word? Am I using that right? Or like, uh, it was tightrope walking. Tightrope walking. Okay, because it was based on the the French guy who tightrope walked between the uh, World Trade Centers, I believe. Yeah. Um, Philippe something. Um, Philippe something like that. There it is. Um, but he did the whole tightrope walk emulation across the the rack formation that they had. And then after that season, WGI was like, uh, mm-hmm. we're probably going to have to put a rule in place that says any prop that someone stands on that is above, I don't know what the height is, but X amount of height, you six have to feet. either have ha- six feet, you have to either have handrails or you have to be strapped in with like a harness. So now there's a rule about it. So then it's yeah. affected groups ever since. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, man, that was maybe once in a lifetime effect in a show. Cause I mean, that was the point of it. Like we wanted you to, to kind of, you know, lose your breath in the seats for a second, you know? Um, yeah. You were up there. You did like the pistol squat or something where yeah, you're like, I, yeah. I think that's what it's called. I'll, uh, I'll defer to Chris Gary. Cause he's the, uh, he, <laughs> he's the, Chris. yeah, he's like the physical expert. I'm pretty sure it's a pistol squat Here's where you guys like, been. That, that yeah. sounds right. That sounds right. But anyway, uh, Chris Gary can confirm or deny that. Uh, so, yeah, I guess that kind of takes us through all the marching history, which you've obviously had a wealth of different instructors and knowledge poured into you. Um, but I guess we'll shift gears now and kind of relay that onto the backside of things. You're obviously doing a lot of teaching now. Um, we can move through those groups and stuff. Uh, doing the William Mason thing you're teaching – Taught at Crossman, Crown, taught at X, now Conexus. Um, yeah, I guess, try to phrase this the right way without sounding like an idiot. <laughs> but using your background and experience and the instructors you've had and all this and that, how do you, I guess, approach and mold that into what you do today as far as like maybe teaching or philosophies or pedagogy or snare drum or that's a pretty broad question so we'll, we'll have to narrow it down as we go i guess sure yeah well i mean i guess to begin with i i say now as a teacher i you know one thing i always want to do is stay a step ahead of of the rehearsal meaning like i know i know the purpose of like what we're doing obviously, and I know how we're doing it, um, and I know where we're going from there. Um, but so basically the structure, like having the structure down before you even start the rehearsal is is so important. Like I, I think one mistake like a lot of a lot of people make, you know, going into a rehearsal is, you know, let's just listen to what's going on and let's just kind of wing it and make this thing cleaner and you know, to be honest, like I think I think students are smart enough to kind of feel the uh, the like lack of direction in that approach, and 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 from then on, it's like really hard to 
to get people to buy into what you're saying. And, you know, at that point, if, if, if everybody's got questions, then I mean, what are we really doing? So that's that's a big thing, like being on top of it with the structure of what's what's going on. Um, taking inventory. So when you're like, let me, know, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say when you're talking about structure, are you talking about just things that you're pre-planning that you want to hit like sections of a show or concepts or technique things that you want to work on like i know at the end of this block we want to get better at this x idea or this x technique or or we want to clean this thing and then we'll move on to the next thing so you're talking about structure from like a, I guess like oh we're going to work a to b today or we're going to work concept like downstroke double stroke into this section of music as it relates to what we're doing in the show yeah sure so i mean like yeah we're always i mean especially carolina crown you know we're always we're always breaking stuff down to like their most basic components at least at like the level that we need to with those guys um like um I know we're always we're always prioritizing, especially you know I I listened to your last podcast with with Mike Bishop. You guys you guys really dug into the whole like judging thing and the exposures and all that. And they're like like yeah, that's that's exactly what's important now. Like you got to make sure that the exposures are the cleanest thing you play. And so you know that's that's the first priority we we take at Carolina Crown. Obviously you know we go every single day all day you can't just work on the same few licks every day so sometimes you got to go to that like full ensemble stuff and and get that up there but you know that's that's um that's definitely the the biggest priority for us and and at that point you're breaking things down like what are the skill sets what what's the sound quality we're looking for here where where do our deficiencies like actually lie and you know we're we're headed in a direction where where like the sound and the music is is the number one focus and and you know if 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 i if i see how like um, maybe some technical deficiencies are holding us back in that aspect then then we'll address that but you know as i mean we we pretty much take care of the technique at the beginning of the camps and everything and you know but at that point you get to move in and your hands are what they are and and we need to we need to make the music clean and we need to make it expressive and you know we gotta we gotta hit the road running sweet so that that's a good segue so you're talking about making or like the hands kind of are what they are <clears throat> so when you guys are teaching whether it's i guess maybe gmu or connects well you don't work at gmu uh connexus used to, used to. <laughs> okay connexus yeah. or crown I know we've talked before with uh, Dan and stuff too before about like technique versus sound quality. So once the kids get moved in and you're in the meat of the season, are you more focused on the way they look or the way they sound? And I kind of asked this with, I know where, I guess I know where this is going, but I think this is good for just the overall knowledge listener here always the sound and if i'm addressing the look it's because i think it's going to make you sound better right right and i think that was kind of similar obviously it would be similar because you and dan teach for the same group and even travis when he was on here with us um dang we're really hitting the crown staff but you know what it's just the way that goes 
But uh, it's just you guys all ended up at the same place. Whatever. Yeah. And we all happened to march with you. Yep. Um, <laughs> so you're using the functionality of how you're moving through the air and the pathway you're taking with the bead, the wrist, the stick, and all that to help enhance the resonance. Hey, bringing back the old uh, the bottle pop there at the beginning of the episode, the resonance <laughs> and the and the hey. ensemble and the bl- and the balance that you're getting from the drum. Maybe I guess walk through a little bit what you guys teach at Crown as far as what you want them to think about or what you want them to feel or what you want them to, to listen for or sound like as an individual. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, you're going to get, you're going to get individuals and, you know, I think it took, it took me all the way up to maybe my last two seasons in the snare line to actually like make a snare drum sound the way I wanted it to sound. Right. So I think at the end of the day, like you just being in the sound, is the priority that we're taking. Um, now, the technique we teach to achieve that is, A, we all learn this from Josh Bricky, don't overplay your listening point, right? That's like the worst thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we talk about balance a lot. We talk about like disappearing in the sound. Don't hear yourself. I want you to listen to everybody else around you. Um, as, as far as like the technique goes, we it really depends on the space of the music. Like sometimes you're playing dotted quarter notes above your head. You're gonna be you're gonna be prepping uh, slow slow on the upstrokes, and you're you're gonna be coming down fast. We want you to use the maximum amount of velocity in the space that you're given. That makes sense. So like if I'm playing if I'm playing six tuplets. Um, that fast uh, at let's say mezzo piano if I want to play and then I want to play triplet eighth notes at mezzo piano the velocity behind those triplet eighth notes it's going to have to be you know kind of a little more produced from the player whereas like the faster stuff is obviously a little more just like let the rhythm speak we're probably Hopefully we're all familiar with that concept, mm-hmm. you know, so we, we definitely, we definitely um, play into that one pretty heavily. Um, I can think of some very specific, like you got your two different strokes that, that we reference. It's, it's that kind of slow up fast down. That's like winding up for a pitch. If you're like a baseball player or like, or the throw, if you're a quarterback, you got the slow back and then you, and then you let it, let it loose. Um, there's also things like a symmetrical stroke where it's like the real fast, like you could think of getting in the tap pyramid. Now, now my stroke type is, is moving the same speed up and down. If that makes sense. No, it does. I, th- this sparks a question for me. Um, how much discussion about hand pressure throughout what you're playing do you guys do? Like, I know when I know, obviously with the kids that I teach in lessons and stuff, I typically tend to preach like even hand pressure, no matter what you're playing, like you're holding the stick, you're never really squeezing it. And that allows it to resonate and produce a more open, warm sound. And I've had a lot of success, even though we all know your hand pressure and fulcrum pressure are going to have to change a little bit. Do you really talk about it a lot or just kind of let the guys figure it out naturally on their own based on how their hands are put together? Yeah, I, I think it's what you kind of just finished off with. Like, like it depends on 
it depends on the situation. Like, obviously, you get to, like, speedo rolls or, like, fast mm-hmm. threes. You're going to tell people to kind of feel feel it a little more in the front of the hand. Um, but, I mean, for the most part, we look for that neutral hand um, okay. where it's, like, where, where it all kind of uh, evenly contributes to what's happening. Um, but, you know, you always want to kind of feel feel everything as a rhythm. So I, I always kind of, like, relate that pressure to, like, feeling the rhythm in your hand. No, that's a good I like that. That's a good way to put it. I yeah. like that. And I think that that neutral approach is just a very holistic way to look at it. That's going to fix a lot of issues to begin with. And then when you get into more depths or maybe higher demand and more mature and experienced players, you can get into the a little bit more nuance with the hand pressure like you're talking about, the front of the hand for certain aspects or even certain geographies on the drum, whether you're in the middle or, or you're out towards the, the guts or the, the edge at the Gillette where you have to like account for the higher tension where you're closer to the, the tension rods and all that stuff. And that stuff comes with experience and just what level of group you're teaching. Uh, but I love the neutral approach. I think that that makes the most sense as far as like giving information to kids to get them to play with the right resonance and warmth that, that you're going for, whether it's Carolina crown or the high school kids that you're teaching or the college drum line that you're working with or what, or the kid playing drum set. Like it, it just, it fixes a lot of issues for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You want to feel that, uh, you want to feel that implement singing in your hands, mm-hmm. you know? Absolutely. And also another thing that I love that you said was talking about like disappearing in the sound. One thing that I, loved and this is probably something that everybody maybe especially brass players if there's any brass players listening to this are like no duh dude we talk about that all the time but that like matt harloff and michael clesh and them used to talk about at crown was just like just play with your trio like if you're playing balanced and in tune with your trio like it's going to be good which is talking about like the people on each side of you of course if you're on the end like you only have one person on the side of you, but whatever. I think the the concept there speaks volumes, and my wife's probably in the other room. Like, duh, heaven, everybody knows that because she's a musician. <laughs> but whatever. Except, like, I I heard that one day, and I was like, that makes so much sense to me. Like, yeah, just play with the people on each side of you, and if you're perfectly balanced and blended with that, and the person next to you is perfectly balanced and blend with the people on each side of you, then you're gonna get that just full ensemble balance that you that you're going for. Yeah. Yep. So my next question on this topic would be, do you ever talk about, I remember Josh was big on this and I don't know if his teaching philosophy has evolved or changed since we were younger, but the whole 80, 20 idea, like 80% is you trying to play the correct dynamics, rhythms and every stickings perfectly in time as an individual. And the last 20% is being aware of the players around you and fitting into that sound or what have you. You know, I, I don't, I don't ever really think of it as a, as a percent. Um, I, I know for me, at least I, I always, I'm all, if you've never seen me teach, I'm always dancing in front of the drum line. I'm always trying to, I'm always trying to get the, the, the players to feel what they're doing. Cause like Tom Hannum, I mean, he's, he's a big, he's a big advocate for the feel and for the time signature and for what, what's the purpose of what, what this music is. So like, as a musician, 
if you know you're you're always trying to feel what you're doing but at the same time like you're always aware of of the sound mm-hmm. um, so so yeah i don't i don't really put a number to it but i i remember being in the line and hearing that and kind of kind of utilizing it and it was effective for sure but that's that's not how i approach it i feel like i've been leaning more towards what you're talking about the feel approach as of late even when i'm standing in front of like high school kids and they're just playing eight on a hand i'm just like yeah man it's just gotta let it groove and they're like what like we're playing <laughs> we're playing eight eight sixteen like what are you talking about but there's yeah. there's a backbeat if you feel it like for sure like you just gotta make it more to you personally that way you're I, I don't know it's like an investment thing like yeah i'm creating music even though it's eighth notes if i'm crescendoing and decrescendoing, you can make that feel a certain way and you can also feel that too if you're playing those exercises to like something in your itunes playlist or something on youtube you're just like yeah like this fits in and it just it's in the pocket and it feels right and it sounds right so i'm a big advocate of that no that makes a lot of sense the whole you have to feel it and I don't know, for me, the mathematical part of the 80-20 split always just made sense because I'm a math person and always have been. But uh, from this, I want to leapfrog to something else, just still on the instruction, uh, I guess not bandwagon, but that theme. Uh, you give lessons, and this is something that a parent of one of the kids that I teach at the high school I work with asked me about. If Do you do online lessons? Online lessons? Yeah, so I've uh I've given like Skype lessons or whatever whatever other sources of media you can use for that and you know I I found a lot of flaws in it. Like one is you you have to be there at a very certain time. Um the quality is, the video quality is not going to be there. There's going to be a sound delay. Um, your internet might be shoddy. So, you know, I just kind of, I kind of like thought about all these things and how to, how to kind of get around them, but still reach these kids from a distance. So what I started doing is I started doing, there's still video lessons, but you know, everybody's got a smartphone these days. Everybody's got great cameras on their phones. So, you know, what I, what I tell kids to do now is why don't you pay me for the price of one lesson and and what you'll get from me is um so this lasts an entire week and so let's say i charge thirty dollars because which is like a little less than my live hourly rate so i charge thirty dollars kid sends me thirty dollars along with maybe a five minute video of him playing through some skill sets and he took it on his phone and he he makes it into an unlisted YouTube video. And so what I do is I watch it and then I I use my phone and I film myself giving a video response that's maybe three to five minutes long. And it's giving him feedback and then and then it's giving him, you know, some direction on where to go from there and what I'd like to see next. So they pay me at the beginning of the week. And then basically what this does is, you know, you have kids who want to be super committed. You have kids who maybe don't want to do hardly any video lessons, but regardless, it's a flat rate. 
So they pay me the $30. They send me videos. I send them a response for every video they send me. So I, I think have, that makes I have, way more sense. Cause yeah, the- I have students who do one video a week, two videos a week. I have super ambitious students who do seven to eight videos a week. You know, so it really depends on them and how much they want to commit to it. Yeah, yeah, that seems like a really good workaround to all the hangups like you were talking about of a, of a Skype lesson. Just not only that, I, I just feel like if I'm not in the same room with them, I can't effectively show them how to do something. Or you can explain stuff still, but it's just it's hard to put into words for me. Like It's just really hard to do it as well as if you were in an in-person private lesson. So I've never gotten into them personally, but the way you just said you do them makes a whole lot of sense to me. And I think that's a happy middle ground. Plus and that. I think, yeah, go ahead, Evan. Well, I was going to say that makes, I mean, that's on par with what we do with our kids at like Cap City or what I know a lot of drum corps do with their in-between their monthly camps or even a bunch of other WGI groups. You have kids submit video assignments on unlisted YouTube videos or they these secret Facebook groups or whatever, whatever medium that you use, but the video quality is much higher than what you would get through a Skype or a FaceTime or whatever you call it. And there's no delay and between information and this and that. And that way you can really sit down and like me as a instructor for like cap city, like I can pick apart what the kids are doing and really watch it multiple times to give more in-depth or correct feedback to where like hey on this measure of this exercise check this out with your grip pressure or the rhythm that you're doing check this out and that makes so much more sense just because you can really there's there's an unlimited amount of time in which you can analyze it and give more accurate feedback instead of feeling like you're under the gun to say something right away that may be correct but maybe it's not if you had Mm -hmm. a second look at it so that i mean that that sounds like a much more effective approach especially if you're talking about over the distance and not a person-to-person face-to-face type of lesson definitely yeah i mean i dude exactly what you said earlier is is my favorite part about it the the student is able to go back and back and back however many times he wants to kind of and even if it's just to watch me play or you know if he wants to hear maybe some other comments that I gave him that he might have missed. You know, he always has that chance or she, they always have that chance to go back and kind of review. So that's why. Yeah, for sure. I like it. And I'm, I'm finding a lot of success in it. I have, I have four or five, I think it's four steady students now that, you know, I've been teaching for a, a few months now with this approach and, you know, we all, we all both seem to like it. No, I think like it makes the most idea. sense. It's yeah, I mean, like I've always been kind of skeptical of the like Skype lesson because I'm just like, how much does somebody really get out of that? Like, how much can you like actually hear through the video quality? But I mean, somebody who takes a recording on their iPhone in 720 and uploads it or 1080, whatever, 4K. I mean, 4K is crazy now, and they upload it on YouTube. I mean, that's it's going to be a pretty telling representation of what they're doing from a sound quality. I mean, Mike and I have talked about this before, too. Just we watched videos of drum lines on YouTube. And maybe 10 years ago, you watched that 
and you're like, I can't really get a good feel for what they're doing. But in 2019 with like 4K, you can you can hear the ticks, you can hear what they're doing, and then you see it in person, and you're like, yeah, actually the the videos that I saw online pretty much told the tale of what that was. But uh, a FaceTime is not really going to lend itself to that type of quality or audio or video in either regard to analyze it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a fan of the live feed lesson. All right. Well, uh, there's one last thing I think I want to talk about real quick because I've been curious about this, and I may have asked you throughout the years about this at some point, but when you marched Bluecoats in 2013 – did something happen like in a good way at the end of the season? Because I feel like every time I saw you guys in 13, it was like, oh, it was okay. Like they got some room to make up and hills to climb still to get there. And then all of a sudden, like overnight almost, just like finals week, boom. You guys, like, I feel like jumped up like three tiers. Does anything happen or just did people have light bulbs go off? Yeah. I'm, um- I'm not sure, man. I I know it was a rookie snare line. I, I thought the quad line and the baseline they were they were always very strong. I always felt like we were the the kind of section holding them back that summer. Um, but yeah, I mean maybe it's what you said. Like maybe some light bulbs went off, if, or if it whether it was the finals week magic. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think I I like to think that summer was a slow burn for us. You know, we just kind of. You know, we didn't like we didn't feel like anxious or anything by the end and like, oh, we better start working hard now. Like like it wasn't that it was like, no, this this has been hard off summer, but we've been pretty consistent with our approach. And, you know, I, th- I think it just finally paid off for us in the end. You just stayed consistent and then you peaked at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly how I would describe that. Cool. That was a pretty challenging show, too, especially like from a ensemble environmental demand uh (laughs) approach oh yeah like the whole ballad we we became this like it it was um it was like a kind of like a fourth of july parade block parade march yeah yeah and like we did not stop marching the whole show like we we marched around the whole field during the time when it was like oh now we like don't have to play right now but <laughs> I remember man, that, that. it was it was very very exhausting. I remember yes. my ballads. I was like standing still for like thirty seconds, <laughs> and then you guys were just like going like around all corners of the football field. <laughs> Dude, it was crazy. I, I remember <laughs> at one point like um, me and Richard Ramos. It was like, I was so winded at this one point in the show. I asked him to like split the dutch with me because i was out of breath <laughs> so we were we were going back and forth like that 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 just going because we had to keep time but you know we we're i was i was spent <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah. i remember yeah one of the many oh, times gosh. i'm sure drummers have wanted to tackle a drill writer or a show designer yeah <laughs> i was there for kind of the the kind of start of that whole era that's there now, the whole John Vanderkoff and um, about Jim Moore. So Yeah, because the, the writer we had for the drill in 12 was just a one-year guy. He only wrote the drill one year, and it was not – our drill was cake. Yeah. At least the drumline's drill in 12 was really easy. But, I like to think uh, I like to think Jim Moore followed me from Crown to Bluecoats. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> 
I love that. All right. Well, we just crossed the hour mark. Does anybody have anything else they want to bring up and discuss before we wrap this up? I don't know. I just want to thank you guys. It was uh, it was really cool being on the show, and obviously we're friends, so you know it's yeah. good uh, good talking to you guys again. Yeah, if you want to if you want to learn more from Frankie, go audition to, uh, go audition at Crown this this I guess November. Oh my gosh, it's like right around the corner. I know it's already mid October, man. Camps yeah. are starting yeah. real soon. Yeah, so if you're a BOA, you'll see me with the the William Mason marching band. We're very strong this year. Um, come out to WGI. I'll be with Connexus Percussion. This is our second year in independent world. You know, looking to looking to make finals and really really get ourselves out there. And you know, obviously we got crown crown auditions coming up in November. So you know, go go to the website and register and learn the packet and come on out and see what it is. Frankie won't be hard to miss. He's got the uh, long, luxurious locks of hair flowing. Oh, yeah, I forgot your hair is super long now. Oh, yeah. Very long. Dude, rocking it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for hanging out. As always, again, subscribe to the YouTube channel, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And like the video, drop any comments, whatever questions you want to ask. It's totally fine. And we will just see everybody next time, probably with uh, another guest. Peace. Adios, everybody. <laughs>